Hey gang, yesterday my friends and I released a video game. Everything feels the same, but kind of different. I don't know. We'll figure it out. This is Playscape LA. Hey, welcome back. We're episode three. Thanks for still hanging out. Uh, man, this is a week, huh? Today's uh, Friday. I waited a day to do the, the Thursday episode because yesterday was release day for Hyperlight Drifter. Let's talk about that in a second. I just want to let you know my guest for this episode is Vernon Shaw, uh, who I will get into in a little bit, but he's basically a master of the internet. Uh, is I hope something he wouldn't mind if I said about him. I feel like nobody would really mind if he said that about them. But we'll get back to him. Um, yeah, it's been about 29 hours since Hyperlight Drifter came out at 2 a.m. on Thursday morning. Um, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I've mostly felt kind of like, I don't know if you uh, have ever been a runner uh, or like a bicyclist or someone who does some sort of like exercise and you get to a point where like you're going and you're kind of in the groove, but it's really late in your workout and you feel like you can just kind of keep running. But if someone were to kind of like bump into you, you'd probably just fall. <laughs> That's kind of like how my brain has felt for the last 30 hours is that there's things to do. I would describe my, my mindset as vigilant uh, because the game is released but we're looking for bugs um, to see if there's anything that lots of people are getting. There have been no catastrophic issues, which is awesome, but there's definitely things that we want to fix. Some people have weird problems on particular machines, but you know, 99% of people are, are just having what seems to be a good time. Um, but yeah, there's also things like, uh, hey, uh, we get emails from people, we get emails from streamers, and, and we're trying to make sure the press have copies and stuff. So let me just kind of talk for a minute about what a release day like that is like. I've done releases of video games before. This one felt different. This one felt different. Uh, a lot of the feelings were the same beforehand in the hours leading up to it. Like, oh God, we have to be ready. Uh, this is when we want to release. It's a little different with this because the deadline for us of releasing was also something people were expecting. Like there were people, we, we had said March 31st, but there were people who had gone to the Steam page and noticed that our plan was midnight Pacific, that like actually at midnight on the first hour of Thursday, that is when we'd be up. So yeah, it was very stressful. Um, there was a camera crew there filming it. So you guys will get some of that. Um, there's a, a documentary piece that's going to be coming out or that we're a part of uh, that I'll tell you about as it as it becomes available but they caught a lot of the technical dramas we had to deal with with some of our partners and just getting our keys out to all the backers so basically we had the game ready at midnight and then we waited two hours uh, unable to click it because we were waiting for for uh, people to deal with some stuff so that was very stressful uh and harrowing um but yeah uh I won't go too into the final hours of development or of pre-release because it's not as exciting. It's just like checking and rechecking things, making sure the game is stable. Uh, and then eventually the game was ready. And then we celebrated. We celebrated for a few hours. I uh, drank a bottle of champagne 
uh, and sent some more keys out to uh, some people who needed them, copies of the game, and then went to sleep at like 5 a.m. Woke up at 8 a.m. just naturally. I don't know how that happened. And decided what a good idea would be would be to check my computer uh, to see if people were tweeting about it, to see if we'd gotten any emails, if there were bug reports, whatever. Um, so all of yesterday was, uh, yesterday being the release day, was just me and, uh, well, what I was doing, everybody was doing something different. So Alex was like uh, looking at bug reports. Alex Preston is the creator of the game. So he's uh, perhaps has the highest anxiety level um, <laughs> of all of us. He's the, he's the most vigilant. Um, he gets up the earliest. He was looking for for bugs and, and things like that. Um, yeah, I people were telling me to relax, but it's like the game's out and I want to make sure that I've done everything I can. And there is going to be a point where there's not much I can do, uh, at least in a in an urgent way, like the game's out, better or for worse. Um, people have the keys that they have. People have the copies of the game. Um, but... Right now, just trying to keep things going and to do things that we might have missed. Uh, we missed uh, sending a particular size of image to Steam, to our Steam rep, in the hopes that they will use it to feature our game on the Steam store. Uh, we were number one on the top sellers all day yesterday. Uh, I hope this doesn't sound like promotion, by the way. I'm just sort of walking you through all the things that hit my brain yesterday. Um, I will say there was no, there has been for me, no feeling of like, uh, of like, whoa, the world has changed. Um, I know some early numbers on how the game is doing, um, and it's, it's good. It's really, it's good. It's really good. I don't even know what to expect because I, nobody really knows what to expect from, from sales. The game is not a flop. I know that. So I feel actually really good about that. The game is not crashing. I feel really good about that. But uh, it's Friday morning. I just woke up. I decided to sleep yesterday. I don't know um, what the overall perspective is. I know that people have been tweeting at us generally really positively. Uh, I've been on our Steam forums, so I know people are, are playing the game and they're really into it. There are some people who have things to complain about. There are some people who don't. Some people think the game's too hard. Some people think the game's too easy. That's the internet that's forums and now i am a forum moderator that's my new job title oh but what are we even doing here um let me just say yeah that uh everything's still the same we're still going into glitch city where we work and handling some things but i'm starting to feel a sense of ease um, no reviews have come out yet to my knowledge. Uh, I woke up this morning and have not checked the internet, so I don't know. Um, but presumably those will come in in the next few days. So by the next time I talk to you on Monday's episode, uh, we will know the critical response. There are a few things that I think about when I release something. There are th a few things that I'm looking at to, for myself to feel that I have succeeded uh, or failed or somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'm looking at like public response, which mostly is the loudness of public response. Does anyone care? Because these days in it, content on the internet, 
uh, and particularly, or at least in independent games, because I've seen this, it's usually not people love your game or people hate your game. It's usually people love your game or people don't really care or they just, it doesn't catch their attention or it doesn't keep their attention. So I'm looking just to see like, hey, how many people are playing? How many people are on Twitch oh, streaming? Like, yeah, what's going on? Uh, that's one. Two is critical response reviews, you know, like the classic, uh, I want to know what our Metacritic is going to be. I want to know, um, not just for numbers, although I don't know, there's some self-judgment thing there where I do want to get like in the green on Metacritic, which I think starts at 70 or 80 out of 100. But more importantly, I think for me, and I know for a lot of the team, something I've always said is that I want the game to be more than just a game that did well on Kickstarter, or even a more than a game that did well on Steam when it released. Uh, I hope that it means something to someone. I hope that the little touches that we put in, in the way that we tell story, in the way that we designed the game and the experience, the things that I think addressed issues I have with video games, uh, I hope that people notice some of those things and appreciate them. I hope people notice some of the influences that went into the game. And I've seen some people talking about some of the influences that I know I personally fed into it in small ways through like uh, my love of Earthbound and Super Mario RPG and things like that. Um, and I guess that's it, man. I just want to know that people are playing it and I want to know that people get something out of it, right? I talked last week about time and how I want to use people's time. I want to uh, take the time that people give to me by playing my game and treat it with respect. So I hope that we're doing that. Uh, I, I hope that's a taste. If you guys have specific questions, that wasn't exactly a walkthrough of the day. The The short answer is I spent all day fl uh, flipping between checking email and fixing a few bugs and taking uh, an hour nap. Um, and there's not the, not, nothing real sexy about that yet. I think things are going to start to coalesce. And as we go forward through the episodes of the show, I will be able to articulate better what I'm feeling and what is going on. Uh, with our team and with uh, with I don't know my feelings about life uh, next week I'm going to try to get at least Alex Preston uh, but hopefully the rest of uh, our local sort of currently full time team uh, uh, Bo Blythe, Sean Ward and Cosimo Galuzzi uh, all sitting down to just kind of talk for a few minutes about what we're dealing with, what we're going through um, and we might be able to Skype in Casey Hunt Akash, uh, Rich Freeland, uh, Aaron, our, our, uh, one of our engineers. And yeah, um, Lisa Brown. We have like a big team and I, uh, I will post in the description credits for Hyper Late Drifter because, uh, for this episode, because that matters to me. Anyway, that's enough. That's enough. It is enough about Hyper Late. Let's talk about Vernon Shaw, my guest this week. I met Vernon through a YouTube channel that he runs called Hot Pepper Gaming, which if you're not familiar is... A show on the internet where people eat a hot pepper, sometimes with hot sauce on it, and then they review a game uh, for about a minute. And you watch them slowly die while the pepper kicks in, and they try to say the words that they plan on saying for the review. I did one of these. I don't know why I did one of these. It was the fucking worst, uh, but it was also <laughs> an experience that I cherish. My mom came to the filming. She watched me actually cry from what 
was an experience I did not know I could have on my face. The, the experience of eating a jalapeno habanero, a habanero pepper. Anyway, uh, that is one of Vernon's pet projects. But as I described at the beginning, Vernon is a master of the internet. He's just someone who, like, so I mean, uh, he, he started Hot Pepper Gaming. Now he works for, uh, or he is a one of the Game Grumps, which is a, a group of people who make content for the internet, videos, funny stuff uh, related to video games. Uh, and their stuff is really cool. But Vernon knows so much about the internet. And, and what I mean by that is not technically. I mean the cultures of the internet and how people uh, find the things that they want to love and come to love them and then what they do on the internet once they love them, like communities of people. Uh, and he just knows all of this stuff. He has such an, a, a, a library of information that is not privy to me um, as a game developer. And so him in the ecosystem of video games, uh, and I, I think that he would probably consider himself in, in a few ecosystems other than just video games, but being able to talk to him and hear his perspective on this is super valuable to video games because it's very easy if you start looking at the games industry to get kind of circular, kind of insular in looking at development, publishing, the marketing of video games, but you're missing the whole second half. Uh, I talked about this last week, the how important it is that people play games and that if I make a game and no one plays it, it doesn't even really feel like it, like it, it, it came out at all, right? So... Vernon knows about people on the internet who are finding these games and playing them. And he is a marvel to listen to. I hope you enjoy it. I'm just going to get into it. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble about whatever it is I'm going through. Let's have some fun with Vernon Shaw. Out of, uh, out of curiosity, is this a... Uh... Do you do this like NPR style, like real close to the mic and like, and I'm here with Vernon Shaw? You know, I, I really like getting up on mics. Like I, I'm really into like, oh yeah, that's the sound of my voice. That's yeah. the sound of my voice on 105.9. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. like, I've learned that that doesn't, that's like a little ASMR. <laughs> and as much as I want, like Dude, this NPR, podcast NPR to be. NPR figured out a long time ago. You just gotta be, you just gotta have a weird name that sounds like a Pokemon. Like I am Robert Siegel or... Cherry Glazer, and then I'm really close with us like like this, and super happy to have you on the show with us. I think, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like we should go in and out of that. We should be yeah, like, of course, like keep people on their toes. Yeah. So that yeah, I mean, you're much worse. And then we go shock jock, shock 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 jock. Oh oh oh, Teddy, why are you farting so much? <laughs> Teddy in the bird. Yeah, Teddy in the, the morning, ninety three point seven. Up in your face. <laughs> the sound wave. All oh, we're giving away some great tickets today. We got ACDC. We got KISS. We got KISS tickets. You want KISS tickets? Be called number 69. 69. <laughs> we would... If this video game shit doesn't work out, I think we would have a very good life. <laughs> well, a good life is a relative term. Mm. No, yeah. Shock Shock is, of all the professions, is the one I see most as like... You have a really good time at work, and then you spend the rest of your time staring at yourself in the mirror and wondering if you're actually you. It's like the first 20 minutes of uh, uh, American, not American Gangster. Beauty? Sure. We'll go with that one. Um, what, like, so that makes me think, because it's like you're a person who I feel like I understand sort of what you do, but I don't know like where that 
comes from for you? Like, what do you identify as, as like, do you have like a noun in terms of like, if you had a business card, what you say? Um, oh man, it's, uh, it's, it's taken me a really long, man, first of all, we're opening up with a shock jock joke, <laughs> which I'll take. Yeah, I'm not cutting that. I've, I've done a lot worse jokes in my life. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot and it's kind of hard to, to define yourself, especially when you do whatever the hell I do, which is just mostly weird internet stuff. The, I don't know, I think the easiest way to explain it is that I kind of decided a bit ago that if I got to keep making dumb stuff for the rest of my life, I would die very happy. So it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's whatever noun surrounds just like making weird stuff that either makes people laugh or, or, or makes people enjoy whatever they're, I don't know how to end the sentence. Was that like, are you, are you a person who's from LA? Are you one of those unicorns? No, 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 Navy family. So I was born in Virginia. I moved out when I was two. So I don't remember anything of the East coast. And then my entire family just moved up and down the West coast for uh, my whole life until I was 18. Oh, um, so it was like, um, let's see if I can do this. El Cajon, Seal Beach. No, sorry. El Cajon, San Diego, Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, San Jose, Sunnyvale, Corona. I was going to give you a beat. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I probably moved um, maybe once every two years. It was two elementary schools, two middle schools, and three high schools. Mm. So um, I was like that too, but it was like the sa- different schools in the same area, uh, okay. which would have you think that I was like a problem kid, but <laughs> it just was like I moved just far enough from schools. Oh, that's just how he just got out of the district lines. Yeah. So wait, like... So were you someone who came to LA with purpose? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Los Angeles was kind of important for me because um, if you want to look at it in a poetic sense, it was the first place I, I decided to move to after like spending my entire childhood moving. So, um, I had built an obsession with, uh, filmmaking and I wanted to come down here to be a director. Mm. Um, so, um, and this was, um, 2007 when, uh, no, it was still a bad idea to be a film major. Then. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I don't know if it's been a good idea to be a film major since like the mid seventies. Mm. Um, but yeah, I came down here um, to be a film major at Cal State Northridge, and I graduated from there and stuck around. And I'm proud enough to say that I'm making stuff. It's just that big long journey of life where you don't, where you kind of realize what you actually wanted to be and what you appreciated about it, what you said you wanted to be when you were in high school. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think directing is really cool. I would love to one day direct a feature film, but I realized that, um, the things I liked about directing were a very specific subset of things about that, that, um, I hopefully kind of formed into what I'm, I'm doing today. So what are the, what are the pieces of being a director that like you actually realized you wanted to keep? Um, it wasn't necessarily so much about bossing people around or, um, controlling a set or like making, uh, making an hour and a half long movie. Really. It was mostly the, the, the really important things to me were telling a story, uh, making something that someone enjoys, making something that affects other people. Mm. Um, and you know, not every time, but something that makes people laugh the big things that's cool that seems like a very survivable goal or like set of values where yeah. it's like flexible to the point of being able to figure out what that means to you yeah yeah and also I, to like follow what what comes at you 
opportunity wise. And this is going to be a bit of a stretch, but I, you and I are both gamers, so I'm hoping that this sticks with you. But when I was a kid and when I played Super Smash Brothers Melee, I would only play as Marth because I thought <laughs> if I played any other character, it would make me less good at Marth. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which, uh, which isn't necessarily true. You know, you, like variety is a spice of life or whatever. But um, I sort of realized in college that um, only wanting to be a director and nothing else is what would make you a bad director. Mm. So, um, so then became about like, well, I don't just want to make short, like film shorts. I don't want just want to make film movies. Like I want to make anything that I can make. So that yeah. led to, to YouTube that led to um, writing that led to all these like weird creative outlets and uh and even non-creative outlets like as i got older it's like one of the most important things that was ever told to me is that you need to focus on something else than your main goal Mm -hmm. that to to help refresh you in that main goal so you know through a majority of my early 20s i wouldn't take a vacation day i would just always work really hard and i would burn myself out on more occasions than i'd like to admit um because i was so focused on a goal or whatever and then you realize that like, oh man, maybe I should go hiking or like mm-hmm. I should probably go camping for a little bit or I should like get into bicycles or or find something else that I'm passionate about that wouldn't necessarily further my career on paper, but would refresh me and I suppose center you as a human being. Oh, so you're talking about like variety in terms of like, not just like, oh, I want to direct, but I'm also interested in cinematography, but more things like I really like bees i don't know why bees is coming to me we're just gonna go with bees yeah um like that's your marth metaphor right yeah yeah it's it's the realization that um it it comes back to i just want to make whatever i can make um i have this strange relationship with like the idea of consumption and production and i feel like i'm so happy and i feel so fortunate that i get to consume all this like beautiful crap that i love seeing like i love reading these books and watching Mm -hmm. these movies and seeing all these things that I, I get to experience and I feel like um, it's not, at least for me, I wouldn't be living a fulfilling life if I wasn't trying to contribute to that and trying to make something that other people could enjoy the same way and enjoy other people's things. So that makes it sound like, uh, and I'm interested in this cause it's a rarity to me, like that you're like pretty good at being a consumer of things. Cause I'm the worst at being a consumer really? of things. Yeah, dude. Like I, I've never really gotten back to a place of, um, like I, we hung out a bunch together at Comic-Con mm-hmm. and like Comic-Con to me was very, uh, telling because I was like, just kind of like I was, I was writing a piece and that's why I was there, but I was like kind of there to check it out. Mm-hmm. And I'd never been so like just in, in engulfed by people who are like, um, not professional, but like career consumers. Right. Right. Yeah. Where they just like, that's what they fucking love. The, the super fan. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it's weird because you can be that for different things. Like I, I, I probably had the same reaction to you at anime expo. I think anime is cool and there's a lot of anime that I really, really like, but it, when you plop yourself down in the middle of anime expo, it is the most sensory, overwhelming, like scary thing to be in to say that you like something and then realize that you actually know nothing about it. Yeah. And to be to be next to like what you would call a super fan, so you know there, there's things that I would consider myself a super fan of, and you know like movies and TV are are somewhere in the middle there for me. But you know I'm I consider myself a super fan of music and um and you know like video games and you know to some extent books. Um, but you, I I, I guess 
you know, like when when you put it like that, that's sort of sort of interesting. Of like, I was never content to just like music, or like mm. what what something that sort of like bothers me that not, doesn't make me at, actually matter anything. But when someone says that they like all music, you know, it, <laughs> why it, why? Well, because because the, then the argument is like. Well, when you say that you like everything and you like listening to everything, you don't have a preference for what to listen to. That just means that I feel like you haven't listened to enough music to and that sorry, that's a that's a bold claim, but it's one of those things where it's you might not have listened to enough music to become truly passionate about what exactly what exactly you like about that music. Yeah, man. No, bold is fine. Lean into it. <laughs> like I, I think yeah, right. Like it's like if you like everything, then you don't like anything, mm. sort of. Is that what you're saying? Or like you haven't uh, gotten to that point? Th- this was put really well in a, in in some comic strip I read a long time ago. I think it was, um, oh, oh man, I feel bad for blanking on the name. Oh, Questionable Content, which is... Whoa, QC. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, dude. But they, they, it's still they, on, I think. Yeah, they described it like, well, if you say you like ice cream, that's great. But what like, what's your favorite ice cream? And... When you find that favorite ice cream, think about why you like that ice cream so much and then go out and try other flavors of ice cream to see if it has that same, if it provokes that same feeling in you. And that's, that's music for me, right? Okay. Like, like, you know, when I don't want, when I'm hanging out with someone, I don't want someone to say that they like all music. Cause that's, that's generally true. Like I, I will listen to anything and a lot, there's a lot of people who will listen to anything, but the, the best part about music is that nobody can listen to all of it. So you have to make friends of people who specialize in certain forms of 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 music and then can share that knowledge with you like you know i'm i i find myself pretty well versed in like the sort of indie sad guy music scene you know i I feel like i know a lot about the national and a lot about cold war kids and a lot about all these like mid-2000s bands that Uh i can share with someone who like i'm really interested in learning more about um uh, like 80s hardcore and 60s Motown. Like I, I want to learn more about that. I want to find people who know about that stuff and can share that music with me. So that's cool. When you well, say, sorry, go ahead. I said like that's when you, I thought you were just going to stop at indie sad guy. <laughs> I was like, that's why we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but that's that's super cool. And then like you can galvanize around mm-hmm. the thing that you love. I mean, so that's like your work basically, right? Like when it comes to the work that you do with like youtube and streaming stuff it's like there's a lot of consuming something maybe it's not the thing that you love but like Mm -hmm. there is sort of a celebration of like things that are great and that you're all consuming them together but you're you also get to produce at the same time you get to make that like one in the same yeah absolutely um and one of the big realizations that came uh from working at all of this uh youtube stuff is that um and who told this to me is it it was a guy from um smoke bomb we were talking about tumblr and i had this i have this crazy theory that if you want to if you want to make anything big on tumblr you just have to have two guys who look like they're about to kiss the entire show yeah yeah so um he was telling me that because they, they had created a web series that was really really successful with the tumblr crowd and he said you don't make things for um you don't make things for for quadrants right like you it when you mm. make film and television like you you shoot for quadrants like old men young men old women young women and okay. the most successful ones are that hit the ones that hit multiple quadrants. That's why when you have something like Meet the Parents, you have Ben, ben Stiller acting alongside uh, what's De Niro, De Niro, Robert De Niro, yeah. because Robert De Niro hits with the old male crowd, uh. Ben Stiller hits with the young male crowd. Okay. So uh, when you're making things for the internet, though, you can you have the luxury of being super specific. So instead of making something for a quadrant, 
you can instead make something for a community of people. So if you make something for girls on Tumblr or uh, scientists who like using Reddit or, you know, like moms on Facebook, if you make something specifically for a community rather than a quadrant, um, it, 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 you really see a fan response out of it. You want to make something specifically for a group of people, they will respond. So do you like, do you like then to do stuff for and with communities that you are part of? Or does that just mean that like you like to touch different communities? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I guess it comes back to the sort of like consuming portion of it where like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not content in my little online bubble and I want to know as much about the internet as I can. So I started a Tumblr and I started following people on Tumblr and, um, I started really buying into Tumblr culture and yeah, I like, I reblog a lot of like real sick memes on, on <laughs> my Tumblr. What's so culture is one of my favorite words because like whenever a company says we have like good corporate culture, it always makes me laugh because yeah. it's like not like free snacks isn't culture. Right. Yeah. So like when you say like cultures like what's tumblr culture give me like two like give me something about tumblr culture that's and like it, it, okay so it's, it's not um it's not specific to the entirety of tumblr but sure. like you you see that um you see that tumblr is you know like they tumblr being a, a predominantly female demographic is is something that sort of it rallies around um it, it rallies around content in this sort of like super fan culture of like not only Am I a fan of this content? But I'm a fan of this content to the to the point where I'm playing it out in my head, you know, and like I'm 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 imagining different things about this world that's been created. Yeah, shipping so, shipping characters, shipping basically. alternative universes, fan art. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really fun because I, I don't know if my brain's wired like that, right? Like I, I don't hmm. like I I watch Star Wars and I say, hey, that was a good movie, and then I move on to the next thing. But there's a lot of people on Tumblr who are like, hey, I like Star Wars. What if Fo- Poe and Finn kissed? You know? Yeah. So <laughs> by a lot of people, you mean everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't worry. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Pofin shipper. Yeah. Well, that was like, you know, we were talking earlier about how like first thought in the morning is like, it's morning. And then second thought is I'm going to die alone. <laughs> yeah. And then my third thought is like, what if Poe and, po and Finn kiss? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool to see things, to, to see things from that perspective and almost have your perspective, uh, bent to the point where you can't imagine yourself like, well, like what's this fantasy Star Wars universe that I'm creating in my head of what I would like to see the most. And then you have that sort of um, tied into these insanely creative people who can put that on paper and share it with other people and build fan bases because of that. Um, what, sorry. All I can think about is Poe and Finn kissing. What were we talking about? We can keep talking about <laughs> Poe and Finn kissing. So like, so that's super interesting. Cause then you're talking about like making stuff for a community of consumers, but then you're also talking about some of those consumers becoming producers of stuff and then mm. having an audience. And then that's, that's kind of like the weird thing to me about like YouTube mm. in general. Yeah. It's, it's actually the cool, what I think is the coolest thing about the internet is that not only is it this like, um, producer and then consumer sort of relationship, but it's actually an economy of like, it, it's just like this, it, I don't know. I always imagined it as this big bubble where you have people existing within that bubble and they sort of like, they pass a joke around themselves, right? Like they, you know, um, I, I guess my, like my shameful thing is that like I was once credited as a, as a corporate mastermind behind the Harlem shake. Like I wasn't the progenitor of the Harlem shake, <laughs> but I was the guy working at maker studios who, who made the first like office version of a Harlem shake that sort of made it okay for other offices to do it. So like I, I had a weird uh, spot in the Harlem shake ecosystem so it was really cool to see that because um, you see you saw these groups of people worldwide with a rubric for a joke, and then everybody had their take on that rubric for the joke, 
And then it expanded to the point where people were inverting that rubric, like finding a, a different way to build a punchline out of like preset rules and then eventually getting so big that it just collapsed on itself. <laughs> so like that, that's a very, very fast, very explosive version of the stuff that's happening on Tumblr of like mm. everybody, they, I mean, they call them fandoms, but they're these like, they're these weird culture communities of people existing together and making inside jokes with one another that they can share around and feel connected to each other with. How much of that get like gets bled over into opportunities for it to be like career, you know, like especially when it comes to streaming, like there's because ev- like everybody can stream mm-hmm. now yeah. in a manner of speaking. Like I stream mm-hmm. in an amateur way mm-hmm. for for myself, but then there's people who stream and it becomes work and like that's Absolutely. your paycheck. Yeah, like, it's actually the- it's 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 so viable and it, it, it one of the most mind blowing things. Uh, I, uh, a very dear friend of mine is uh. Uh, got her start as a as a, an illustrator on Tumblr, and then mm. and then turned that into a very very like really cool career. And she told me that you know back in the day when you were a Renaissance artist, <laughs> you couldn't create original content. You just had to keep drawing pictures of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and the Medici's. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, you gotta you gotta like like what the people want is what they already know. So you're essentially a Renaissance fan artist back then. Like you're <laughs> you're you know. You're drawing the Sistine Chapel of all this like crap that we already know, uh, and people are into it because they already know what it is. Less shipping, in yeah, that, less that shipping. Community. But well, what if? Um, <laughs> so it, it's it's this insanely interesting thing that throughout history, like the idea of people clicking on only clicking on things that they know that they know and that they're comfortable with has been around mm-hmm. for centuries. Only right now, because we're on the internet, we're in this like hyper like this hyper version of it where that's all you see. It just cycles faster. Mm-hmm. So when you're a creator on the internet, um, um, well, like one of the other things that I'm really obsessed about is the idea of sharing things. Like, why does someone share something? And the you know the first thing you have to do when you sh- want to share something is you have to click on it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And this is like it's this first follower idea of like nobody wants the risky click. Like no one wants to be brave enough to be the first guy to watch something. Huh. So when you're a creator on the internet. You can't just say like, "Hey, here's my original idea for a web series." I, despite you never seeing anything that I've made before, I want you to click on this and spend eight minutes of your life on a bet. You know, like yeah. just like, but you're you're betting eight minutes of your life on whether this content is good or not. So what you have so to do? So how do you get through that? Yeah, and like that that isn't even you know it, it gets even more complicated than that like there's an ocean of good ideas on the internet that no one has seen just because it hasn't been showed to them. Mm-hmm. So, like, how you do it is you tie into something that people already know or you create something that's uh, what's called a compressible idea of, like, something that, that, that's easy to, easy to figure out. So, like, hypothetically, you could create a, um, a, a video called Pikachu on Acid. Okay. And Is this an original idea happening right now? No, this is an actual, okay. this is an actual YouTube video that exists. And I, I'm actually, holy crap, I'm wearing my Pikachu on Acid shirt right now. <laughs> is, uh, these are the, these guys' uh, high five tunes. I used to work with them. Uh, but oh, they, okay. I'm gonna take a photo of this for later. <laughs> Don't let me forget. They created a they created a YouTube video called Pikachu on Acid, and it got millions and millions of views. One because everybody knows who Pikachu is. Like this, it's just like uh, we called it uh, evergreen, an evergreen idea, something that sort of exists within the collective subconscious of the internet. Hmm. Everybody knows what Pokemon is. Everybody, well, the the community that w- you would want to sell to, right, or make mm-hmm. something for, they know what Pikachu is. They know what Pokemon is. And if you say Pikachu on acid, that's sort of a compressible idea because it's three words long, but it's a, a really, really dense idea that kind of, it builds an expectation, right? Yeah. So you're like, well, well, what does Pikachu look like on acid? I don't know. 
Um, but so you know you, a lot of it what Pikachu looks like. Exactly. So you, you know click into acid. it. So if, if you just said Derek on acid, man, that was kind of interesting. But like, <laughs> who's Derek? So like you, like the cool thing about the compressible idea is that like, you know, you click into it, you watch all, all the way through it and you like it. And you want to share it with like-minded people. Like, yeah, man, my friends who also like Pokemon would really get a kick out of this. The cool thing about a compressible idea is that um, because it built, it was so simple for you to understand in the first place. It's really simple for you to share to other people yeah. because of because you're given all that ammunition and a compressible idea to explain it to someone else. That is super interesting to me because it reminds me of like the pitching games scene. Yeah, uh, which is like when or, or pitching anything, but like mm-hmm. when you're pitching to people in like a corporate area or you're trying to get money from somebody there's this idea of like oh uh it's sort of compression but it's like translation it's like i'm gonna take my game which has nothing to do with these and i'm gonna assign those those known quantities to it so like for hyperlight in the kickstarter it was like oh this is like a legend of zelda and diablo Mm -hmm. and that's like compressible but it's like translated and but what you're talking about is not actually translating it over, but it's like it literally is Pikachu on acid. Well, it, it does. It doesn't even necessarily have to be translated. Like the the reason why I think something like uh, Hyperlight Drifter works, or a lot of these like really cool indie games that have exploded out of nowhere. Like you take a look at something like Portal or something like Fez, and if you look at six seconds of either of those games, you get what the entirety of that game is about to, hmm. to begin with. And the cool thing about that is you buy the game, you play it, and uh, you're offered so much more than that. So the compressible idea expands. So this compressible idea can either be, you know, like this translation that you're talking about, or it can be uh, a compression of an idea, or it can be something very visually based. Because, like, if you think about to the, like, 1970s, 1980s blockbuster scene in movies... Which I do. Yeah, <laughs> frequently. <laughs> you, you, you look at something like Jaws, like the poster for Jaws or the poster for Back to the Future. You know exactly what they're going to be about because you see this motherfucker, Marty McFly, like, I don't know what time <laughs> it is. Am I in the future or in the past? Better get in this cool car that's behind me. Yeah. That's, I think, on fire right now <laughs> because it's going into the past or future. Future past. Days so, of future past, yeah. So, like, I have this weird tinfoil hat theory that, you know that there is a unifying uh there's a, there's a sort of like a unifying theory of of content you know not everything has to apply to this or not everything has to the, you know there's always exceptions to the rule but i think throughout history there's just always been compressible ideas that are insanely easy to share and that's what's made them big and just because we have the internet now uh is the reason why we can study that so in depth so hmm. like you know so, you know, music, movies, television, like, like if it's a shareable idea, like it's, it's, it, it's bound to do well or like it, it has a better chance of doing well. And what sort of made me realize that sort of this kind of crossed genres or crossed uh, mediums yeah. is I, I realized that um, the same thing was true for my Tinder profile. Go on. <laughs> okay. So like you have three things that you want to do when, when you want to create a successful YouTube video, right? You want to, you want someone to click on it. You want someone to watch all the way through it mm-hmm. and you want them to eventually share it. So that's like three action plans. You, you want them to, you want them to be intrigued. You want them to, okay. You want them to walk inside of your shop. You want them to, uh, look through your shop and you want them to buy something or you yeah. want them to, um, as a basis form, be incited by something, experience all of it and then like react to it. Sure. So for Tinder, like you, you, you want people to click on your profile. You want people to read all the way through your, uh, through your image, like, you, through through your like about me text, and then you want them to swipe right on you if they like you. And or then not. you want them to share it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, share it with other people. But no, like they're 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 performing an action based off of that. So like, 
so it, it's so weird how like those three rules when when boiled down to like a basic standard it's like yeah you're just trying to you're trying to get someone's attention you're just trying to get you're trying to tell someone something and you're trying to get them to be affected to the point where they they perform an action i so, guess so is there a fallacy there in terms of like because the term you use is really like really explains it well it is in itself a compressed idea but the term of a mm-hmm. compress compressible idea mm-hmm. is that like there is something bigger that that is compressed that then re-expands yeah right and like i wonder it seems to me like a fallacy of like uh i was gonna say bad but i don't know if that's the right word like a lot of internet content where it's like a small idea mm-hmm. that that on the surface appears to be like similar to a compressed idea but has no room for expansion mm-hmm. is that a thing yeah actually um okay so you know uh, a couple years ago, you had like BuzzFeed and Viral Nova and all these like mm-hmm. clickbaity, um, clickbaity type websites. What they would do is, and they, what they would do is, they would create a web page that said, "Here's 17 pictures of a dog that'll make you want to be a better person," right? And you would click into it, and you would see 17 pictures of a dog, and you'd be like, "Hey, these are cool dogs, but I don't necessarily want to be a better person. I've, in a sense, yeah. like I've, 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 I'm stuck in a ruse right now. Like I've been lied to, yeah. and I, I, I feel like that was disingenuous. And you, I'm sure you and anyone listening to this has had that feeling of like, man, I just wasted time uh, oh, beca- yeah. because like what I saw wasn't what I expected to see. So BuzzFeed sort of figured it out, and they were like, well, we don't need to like throw hyperbole at people necessarily. We don't need to like throw articles at these people to say like, this is like. This is when you realize that Hillary Duff is the most perfect person ever. <laughs> All they have to do is say, this is exactly what you're going to see and that you're going to enjoy seeing it. So they came out with series hmm. like um, Irish people try American snack foods for the first time. Right. And <laughs> yeah, then, it's and not then, drawing a conclusion for you. Exactly. But what it does is it builds an expectation in your head. And if the expectation is met or exceeded, then you see that as as like quality content. Right. Hmm. Because, like, the Irish people try American snack food, and they're like, what the fuck is this Twinkie? And you're like, hi, that's exactly what I expected them, them to say. <laughs> like, that, that's... Huh. So, like, you, you see that as more valuable than something that's disingenuous. And what people sort of need to realize is that the internet is not only, like, a sh- like people sharing things with each other, but it's this, like, living, breathing machine full of, like, page ranks and algorithms. And Facebook is most definitely recording how long you're on a web page before you bounce back to Facebook. And they're definitely, you know, weighting that algorithmically of like, well, okay, if someone clicks on a Facebook link and they see value at it, hypothetically by either sharing it or staying on the page for longer, we're going to bump that up in the in the page rank, or we're going to bump that up in the algorithm. So there, you you see that sort of content get valued more, not only because people do value it, because Mm -hmm. but because like companies behind Facebook and YouTube and all these like all these like big giants on the internet who can sort of like value or devalue stuff are, are valuing and devaluing stuff. Wow. Okay. So it's weird stuff, right? No. Yeah. I'm just like processing all of this for the first time. So like, man, we were talking about this earlier over brunch cause we had disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, we had brunch together. We, we both are two single gentlemen in mm-hmm. our, uh, and you know we're, we're we're old enough. I think we I think we've had you know enough success in our lives to to enjoy brunch together. We deserve it. And yeah, we had some good ass brunch. We, sure, say. we sure did. Sigh. We, um, but we worked hard for that brunch. We did. Well, but you okay? So you were talking earlier about um, this sort of like these two poles of finding ways to grow an audience, which is mm-hmm. like content focus and analytics focus. Yeah. And because now you're talking about, about like, like Facebook tracking things and things that are like 
tied together in a way that's hard to tell like yeah. if that's if that's and, based on quality uh, or based on aside from a aside from you know a fascination with it mm-hmm. it's it's not well the, the fascination of like the inner workings of it i've never been too incentivized to dive super deep into it do a b testing you know mm-hmm. like do mm-hmm. do like do real hard analytics onto it uh because i'm 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 really I suppose more interested in in the creativity aspect of it. I guess that comes back around to like, oh, I'm I'm 18 year old Vernon. I'm going to go to LA and be a director. You are a director ah. in your heart. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was like, um, you know, like what what really fascinated me is like why people will react to something or why people like find something so important that they need to share it with a friend. And mm. uh, and it's never really been about like where do we place. Uh, and, and not that it's, it's not without merit. Like, it's like really, really like there's really good people doing really hard work about this stuff. But I, I've never really been interested in, in like uh, link placement or what like where an annotation on YouTube performs best or um, a lot of these like watch time based analytics. I think they're cool and I think they're super, super useful. But it's, you know, there's been a lot of jobs that have come across like uh, but there's been a lot of jobs that have come across that are like that sort of job of like an analytics based yeah creative that i haven't really um felt like i wanted i struggle with this all the time because like this exact same thing happens in game design really yeah like um i mean the obvious example being like zynga like zynga game design is like very analytics based but i mean uh when i worked at disney i worked on an mmo okay and it was a free-to-play mmo which meant like there was a very directed interest in like the game design had to monetize Mm. the game you had to be thinking about like clicks and all that sort of stuff Mm. And that's super hard to deal with because it's like, like you, you're saying kind of in passing, like, oh, that's super useful, but yeah. And it's but like, you, like at the end of the day, you just want to make cool stuff that people like, right? Yeah. Or even, even in what side one game, like even in the daily process of game design, there is this thing of like, I have the ability to manipulate the player mm-hmm. and I have to manipulate the player because I, like that's in my hands already. Mm-hmm. Like it's a responsibility given to me and I can either use it or not, mm-hmm. but it's there but sometimes it feels so gross, you know? Oh I mean, yeah, that, I mean, it's the uh, it's uh, the mid two thousands Brink Soul Skater argument. Whoa, wait, what's that? You ever you ever watched Brink, the made for TV Disney movie? No. Oh god, it was about a bunch of rollerbladers who just said that <laughs> they, they were a part of a group of people who called themselves Soul Skaters, and they wouldn't take on sponsorships because they just skated for the love of rollerblading, <laughs> right? Uh, and then and then the main character he gets a sponsorship. Oh no, what's gonna happen? Oh, no. Is it gonna change him? Is he gonna be a better person? Is he still gonna be friends with his, his soul skater buddies? I bet it we changes him for a little while. Yeah, and then he changes back uh-huh. and sees a really nice character arc and realizes that it was about the skating the whole time. But like, so you like, but that, so every that, time I've ever talked to you, like, you seem very focused. And like, we'll come back to this yeah. comparison. Like, <laughs> the seem, soul skaters. Yeah, uh, and also your Marth metaphor. But like you seem very focused on content quality. Like that's mm. what you do, you know, but also like of, of many people that I know, cause I know a lot of like indie game developers, a lot of art game developers where very much like there's so much attention, uh, rightly so put on making new stuff and making valuable mm. art and making different experiences that like, even with some people, there's an aversion to yeah. like the business side or the analytics side, but like, you know, your shit on this. Thank you. Um, I, ho- I hope I do. And so like, I, I, struggle with this all the time because i do a lot of our business and all of our pr for hyperlight yeah and it's like the internal struggle of like is this okay that i'm doing this that i'm playing the game but for the sake of content that i know is good like right do you, are you just like like i feel like basically you're more at peace with that than i am so i want you to tell me i suppose okay. I, I think um and and this is it's probably something born out of like 
being a creator that nobody gives a shit about um <laughs> where you you have to like you have to make yourself on your own like I would I would love for there to be a day when I woke up and I didn't have to deal with any business or PR or, mm. um like all if all I had to do was focus on creating something cool um that would be amazing but for my entire life um nobody has has given a shit mm-hmm. and it it I suppose it turned me into this like I guess it's like middle child syndrome taken to to an nth degree of like huh. well uh, if I'm going to want to make something, I'm going to have to know how to make it from top to bottom. Like I'm going to yeah. have to know the business behind it. I'm going to have to know the PR behind it. I'm going to have to know like these weird tinfoil hat theories behind it to make it um, or else it's not going to get made. And I hope that I'm the type of personality that where it's like, if I, if I'm, if I'm doing it, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. And it's, it's that like old Steve Nash quote of like, if everybody, if everybody worked as hard as I did, I'd be out of a job. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like this, you know, I, I want to be a creator and I want to be as creatively right brain focused as possible, yeah. but I'm going to have to do the business stuff or the analytics stuff. And if I'm going to do them, I'm going to do them to the best of my ability. Yeah, man, this is hitting like super close to home. Yeah. Yeah. You just <laughs> take a nap or like curl up for a while. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to think about here, right? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I feel that all the time. And like, especially when that gets challenged, because like, mm-hmm. you know how hard it is. You know that nobody gives a shit. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we were talking about imposter syndrome earlier yeah. over brunch too, which is, of course, what we were, you and I were talking about over Naturally. brunch, <laughs> over chorizo. But like, <laughs> like, that's happened to me with Hyperlight, right? Yeah. Like, sometimes I'll see a thing where somebody's like, uh, like our community is awesome yeah. and our backers are awesome, very supportive. But like, uh, the, the thing that comes to mind most is like I announced, or I kind of like put up a website for Kyoto wild, which is one of my side projects mm-hmm. and like something that is burning slowly and whatever, like I'm not pushing it hot, but when I gave it a website, it got picked up by a few outlets Yeah, and I looked at the comments, which I like tell people not to, but mm-hmm. I do it. Um, I do too. I try to be open about that. I like, don't look at the comments. I look at the comments, so don't feel bad <laughs> if you look at the comments, but we should not. Um, and, and somebody said like, God, if I got as much exposure from just two screenshots and a website, like I, like I'd be doing so great. And yeah. And, like, and then you hide in, you hide under your desk for a day <laughs> and then, and then convince yourself that you don't deserve any of this. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's both, right. Cause there's an indignance of like, man, I mean, first of all, fuck you. But, <laughs> but secondly, like. I've been doing like I've been making games for 15 years. I've been professionally doing it for like a decade. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Um, but so like somebody Wait, finally slow gives down a- really quick. I give a shit. Keep going. <laughs> Thanks, friend. <laughs> one one buddy gives a shit. <laughs> no, I mean uh, I I will say like again using the example of Hyperlight, I can't say nobody gives a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but still like I can make something, and if I don't do the right business, no one will notice it. Yeah. That yeah, happens. Absolutely. Like that. It's a rare thing to get to a point where you can just like shit something out and people super care about it. Like you have to do it right. Um, Wouldn't that be so nice? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like never, it never gets better. Yeah. So like, um, um, about a a little more than a month ago, I accepted a job with the game grumps. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know who the game grumps are, they're, um, they're a very large video game community on YouTube, uh, less players. And then they're also like artists and musicians and just really amazingly talented people who, very deservedly so have millions of fans Mm. um so up until that point everyone that had been following me on twitter or following me because i had said something funny or because of uh work that i had done like through hot pepper gaming or through scare to care through all these like weird ventures of like creating stuff for the internet 
And then the first day that I started with the Game Grumps was a really strange day for me because they announced that I wasn't a part of Game Grumps and, you know, everything instantaneously doubled. Like, Hmm. like, you know, thousands of people started following me on Instagram and thousands of people started following me on Twitter. And it was all these people who were fans of me because I was associated with the Game Grumps. And it all felt so very, like, undeserving, you know, like, like all, like a lot of these fans saying like, Hey, Vernon, we love you. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're so cool. And I'm like, bitch, you don't know me. Like, <laughs> let me tell you a couple jokes first. Come on. Like, let, let me earn this. Don't you want to hear the pitch? Yeah. But, the, but it, it comes back to the imposter syndrome where like, I wouldn't have been hired by the game grumps yeah. if they didn't like the stuff that I was already making. So like, yeah. what does this like followers as they relate to social currency? Like, what does that mean? And what do I deserve? And do I deserve any of it? And all of these like really lofty questions. Like I went home that first day and like I, I had to like shut off, you know, all connection to the internet because I just mm. could not process what that all meant and if I actually deserved it. Yeah. Well, I was, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like you either have to go one way or another. You have to decide either like, yes, I deserve or I earned it and so I'm getting it or no one deserves it or not. It just happens to people and like it's equally fair. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but then you get into this like this weird feedback loop of, like there's so many people who work hard and they're so deserving of success. Like, why was I, uh, why was I the person who received the success? Like, uh, like we were talking, of course we were talking about this over bunch was like, yeah. like, was it because I was working hard? Was it because I'm a likable person? Was it because I was lucky? Mm-hmm. Like what, what, uh, what sort of like combination of the three led me to, um, be working with the, like one of the biggest YouTube channels on the internet. Yeah. And, well, and like, do you feel like you have come to peace with that some of those are true or absolutely that... not? Cool. I am. <laughs> um, uh, and this is probably something I'm going to tell to a therapist later, but I, I, you know, um, I think I'm, uh, as a base state, just a sad guy. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, Sam. Yeah. Right. I think this is why we get along so well. Teddy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at a very basic state, like I'm, I, I, you know, I struggle with self-esteem problems. I struggle with whether or not I'm deserving of any success that I get. And, you know, like the more you see success, the more it kind of like it nags at you Hmm. of like, because you, you know, it's hard to like receive success after spending like however many decades, uh, having no one give a shit about you and then like be cool with that success. (laughs) Like it's hard to be, you know, like, uh, I, I guess the, the big example is like Kanye, who always knew he was going to be great. <laughs> and then he became great. And then he was very content with how great he was. So uh, the perfect human. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's just a hard thing to wrap your head around, especially like, you know, the first Scare to Care that I did. So Scare to Care was a thing I started with my brother a little more than five years ago. Actually, it's it's um, it it raised so much. It raised forty thousand dollars last year. And because of it, I got a tattoo of Scared to Care on my arm. It's a really good tattoo. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've looked at oh, it yeah, extensively. Thank you. Uh, but the first I year just we... oofed at your... Yeah. Speaking of Tinder profiles. Hey. But the first year that we did it, we raised uh, $1,000. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, And, you know, it grew and grew. But, like, you know, not a lot of people gave a shit about it back then. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why people gave a shit about it last year was because of the five years we spent giving a shit about it. Yeah. So I find that like, um, and again, this is one of those like, don't read the comments things where I mm-hmm. don't actually think about it. It doesn't actually make me feel better, but I feel like it's supposed to, is that 
when the numbers go up, like when your followers go up or when the money goes up, like that doesn't, that's the thing that rings the imposter syndrome because it's so ethereal. Yeah. It's just like invisible numbers that feel like mm. fate and like, I don't earn this. And then what does help is when like a person says something to you. Yeah. Like this, like I look forward to this stream or like, I love your game or whatever. Like that's the, those are the things that yeah. aren't at scale, but that like, I guess help. Well, one, one of the, one of the emails that I saved and that I continually go back to is someone who, after this year's scared to care, they sent me an email saying that scared to care inspired them to start working with charities themselves. And it, it oh, was, so cool. it was, um, you know, like whatever money you raise or whatever, like concurrent viewership you get on Twitch is it kind of pales in comparison to someone actually literally telling you how you affected their life. Hmm. So that, that was a, that was a really big thing for me and it, it helped a lot actually. That's yeah, that's cool. I think that's what gets us through the day. I, so, okay, here's something I'm going to totally take a left turn before okay. we, uh, both cry. <laughs> um, or like while we're both crying, um, I have this impression. So I moved to LA for almost a very similar reason. I moved to LA to make TV, to okay. be like a showrunner. Um, and then I, I had been in video games and then I came back to video games very quickly, but like, that's what got me to LA. Um, and so in my head, I have this like view or optimistic ambition for games in LA as being like tied into the knowledge and craft of film yeah, and to lesser extent of music, but like to the heritage of this city. And on a daily basis, I don't super see that. Like I have some friends in film or whatever, uh, but like Glitch City is a lot of video games all the time. Yeah. And most people I interact with on Twitter is a lot of video games all the time. But sometimes I have a screenwriter friend or something. Right. Have um, you ever been to a party in... No. in it, <laughs> help me out here. Have you ever been to a party in Los Angeles and you find the one person who's a veterinarian and then yeah. you corner them and you're like, just tell me anything about your life that isn't about screenplays that you're trying to sell. <laughs> that happens. Be- <laughs> that has to be with bankers. And, like, <laughs> and I lived in New York for six years. Mm-hmm. And so you think I'd be tired of them, but now I'm, I'll meet a banker at a party and I'll be like, where, where are you? Like, yeah. <laughs> how, how do I find, you're wearing a suit every day? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like so many, so many of my friends are in the YouTube industry or in the, the video industry or in mm. the gaming industry um that you can really build a bubble for yourself Mm. um and when you find that one person who who they're they're like uh, i'm a drywaller i do i do construction or i do um literally anything that isn't next to a computer you're like just tell me about your life please i just want to imagine i'm so excited to get to know you what do the flowers look like (laughs) but like so do you hmm do you feel like there is a well, I guess let me ask you this because like you make video content, yeah. which I guess in terms of the the meat of itself is closer to film than it is to games. Like is LA, is Hollywood contributing anything to that? Like is this a hub? Is LA a hub for streaming for that reason? Like cuz I know a lot of streamers, there's like there are companies that represent streamers here, mm-hmm. right? And to me that for some reason I just assume that's because it's Hollywood and like if you want to be famous, like you go to LA. And so yeah. if you want to be a famous streamer, there's that same assumption. Like is that translating? Is there a cross pollination of the heritage of LA that feeds into your yeah, business? Yeah, absolutely. So a, a lot of a lot of YouTubers um, definitely came out to Los Angeles to use it as a base of operations, and, and it's one of those like sort of cart before the horse thing mm. things that you see. And like it, it even happens in tech. Like people go to Silicon Valley and they they spend crazy amounts of money 
getting off of space there just because that's where the the sort of heartbeat is to their assumption, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, like tech and video and and streaming and YouTube, it's all very like location decentralized. So you know, whereas you have a lot of people coming into Los Angeles to make video content here and exist in a collaborative community, you have uh, another amount of people who are realizing that they were much happier where they originally were, and because mm. they're attached to a computer, they can do it literally anywhere. So it's it's becoming a bit of a world community in a, in a, in a sense, um, probably in the same fashion that tech is, where you don't mm. necessarily be need to need to be in Silicon Valley to make it big. Yeah, but it isn't bad that you're in Silicon Valley, right? There's a feeling of comfort in being geographically close yeah. to it too. It doesn't necessarily mean success because like every mm-hmm. every cab and Lyft driver I've ever had in LA is an aspiring actor. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean they're going to be successful, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a feeling so like, well, there's maybe more opportunities or it's just you're more integrated into yeah. it. I don't know. In my opinion, LA has always been a city where um you go here to get something done. Yeah. And there's a there's a, a sort of energy that you can feel in that everybody is on their hustle and everybody's like grinding. Mm-hmm. Whether whether they're successful or not, like you come here to to get something done. And I swear to God, there's going to come a point in 10 years where I go through this really weird burnout phase and I move to Portland to live among the three people <laughs> and I'll be super happy there. But right now, like I, I got, I got goals and ambitions and like, I'm I'm thankfully surrounded by, by so many people who have similar goals and ambitions. And these people are the people I can rely on to motivate me to keep making stuff. Right. It's funny you say that. That's like the thing that I say to people when I talk about LA. Mm-hmm. Is like sure, like everything that you think about that's bad about LA, like a bunch of Hollywood douchebags and a lot it of wannabes. Like, oh, it's <laughs> yeah. there. But yeah, there's like even with them, like there's an energy of like I always say the ex- like literally the exact same thing. Like everybody comes to LA to do a thing. Like, yeah. like it is rare, although not impossible, to find people who are from LA. Like it's so common to f- mm-hmm. like it feels like I always say it feels like everybody just got here. Yeah. Like no one's that makes sense. fewer people are, are like stayed in their ways. They're just like, mm-hmm. they're hustling. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, to LA's credit, you know, it's also the sort of city where if you look a little deeper into the box, like you see this, this like really vibrant community of, mm. of, you know, it, it's really easy to write off LA as, as that top layer of like, uh, like plastic and executive and, and sort of like very, very fake in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I live here, the more uh, the more I want to be living here and the more yeah. I appreciate uh, the sort of culture that's being created in L.A. Mm. just based off of all of these ambitious, creative people living within it. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like what you were talking about earlier with compressible idea. Like, Oh, whoa. wait, hold on. Com- Draw, bring the circle around for me. I'm really excited. Okay. Like, uh, and, and the fallacy that some people will pick up, but they'll look at content and produce content that maybe appears similar but cannot be unfolded that actually doesn't have more there and you see that with the hustle in la that like um there are people who are here like your first impression of the city is everybody just wants to be famous yeah right that's the thing it's like the it's the gold rush but it's for fame like the the thing i'll see every day is like there's a dude on the street corner and and on my morning commute i see him all the time and he's like a sign juggler Mm -hmm. and i literally saw this guy and then like a few weeks later he was like doing more dance moves and stuff Mm -hmm. and then by like month six of me doing this commute he was still doing the sign juggling for his job but he also had a poster out that had his instagram oh god like account on it like uh and not necessarily that could have been good content so i don't want to pin him (laughs) as like just the the empty hustle but there is that and and the the thing that i that you discover later is what you're talking about Mm -hmm. that while you see just the hustle and just the people trying to be famous there's the people where it's like 
I mean, I wouldn't mind being famous because it means more people see my work. I'm not going right. to bullshit about that. But like, I mean, I know it comes with shitty stuff, but I want people to see my work. Um, but I'm trying to do something that is valuable to people. Right. Yeah. It, it, you, I, I guess I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Like, why am I actually doing this? Because mm-hmm. like, there, there's a sort of fascination with like, well, what if a lot of people were following me on Twitter? You know, like, what, yeah. what, what if, what if, what if people cared about like what if i tweeted out a song that i liked and it helped break a band that i really believed in you Hmm. know like there's all these like things that fascinating me about a lot of people following me about the internet and um it's it's sort of scary to to think like oh i just want to be famous like i I want all these luxuries of being famous i want to be rich and powerful and whatever and you know like what what is sort of boiled down to me and i suppose how we get to sleep every night is by agreeing to the fact that it isn't necessarily about being famous it it isn't necessarily about like wanting a lot of people following me online. And while it's sort of symptomatic of what I want to do, like what I really want is to make something that people enjoy, hmm. like make, make, make stuff that, um, I don't know, like when I think about hop ever gaming and like, I think about all the emails and all the tweets where people say, Hey, this is really funny. You made me laugh. Like hmm. that's, that's sort of what gives me life. Right. Like I, I, I sort of affectated someone, to the point where I made life a little easier for them, yeah. you know, like, like, it, and at, at a very most basic state, just a little chuckle. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's what sort of gets me going, like making something that affects someone else. I think it's super healthy to own the, the, the return on that. Mm-hmm. Like to say, like it helps you sleep at night. Right. Which is, <laughs> it's cause it's not benevolent. It's not purely benevolent. It's not like I'm here to selflessly improve the lives of others right yeah there, like, there, there, there's a give and a take to it right yeah it's like it's also good to feel like you're improving the lives of others because then you feel better about yourself and yeah then, and that's always something that we all need what was told like i there i was there's was a point in my life where um i was very unemployed and very unemployed. very unemployed and i took a three-day long job driving around uh, a blind writer Whoa, uh, okay. to his meetings in los angeles and one thing that he said to me that will always stick with me is he told me um, while I'm driving him that um, that everybody wants to feel like they're more than the pages that they're written on. Right. Like they, they, they mm-hmm. want to feel that interconnectedness. They want to know that they're affecting someone else. And for me, that's knowing that I'm I'm making other people happy. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so, yeah, it is it is a give and a take, but um, it comes to this it comes way back to this like sort of like Catholic guilt of like, you know, growing up Catholic and, and um, being obsessed with like living a life of servitude and like serving other people and making sure. everyone else's life around me better. Yeah. No, I mean, I grew up Catholic too, so I get that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that. And also being sorry about everything. Yeah. Sorry is a soft way to put guilty <laughs> and shamed um, or self-shaming. No, but I, like, that's the thing about you, man. Like, and that's what I see is that like, like when we did Squirrel, uh, most recently, which is a which was rad. Uh, it was a good time. Yeah. So, uh, and congratulations for how much you you raised with that. that yeah, was... we raised like eleven thousand, which God is damn, it's man. the first year we were we did it for charity. We did it. This is the second year, but first year we just did it for fun mm-hmm. on a whim. And this was the first year. We're like, let's be a little organized and let's do it for charity. So right. that was a huge. I was expecting one to five thousand, mm-hmm. just like pocket change for a charity, but it was super great. Uh, point being, that's a charity stream that Adriel Wallach and I do, and you came on, and like, whenever. Like doing something like that really kicks in my feelings of like, why am I doing this? Am I too self-absorbed? I want people to watch me play a video game. Yeah. But like your energy when you come on, like reminds me of like, oh, like 
people get so much out of this. Thank you very much, man. You know, like you come I in. I had so much fun. It was so good. And like, even like, even at first glance, there's things where it's like, if I were like, if I were thinking about that, like it's tempting, but then it feels self-absorbed. Like you were like, I think you gave money to name one of the, the summon <laughs> spells Vernon. Right. But then everyone liked that so much and it really got everybody psyched and everyone was having a good time with it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I see how this is so give and take mm-hmm. where it's like, sure, you get to have fun with that. And it's like, it's fun for you to have yeah. something named Vernon. Like um, make, make a sort of like build a joke thread out of that, that, yeah. that everyone can sort of latch on to. Yeah. It's just an entire, yeah, there's a craft to it that I think is super cool. Um, so let me, I'm going to pivot again because pivot is a word I use. I'll take it. Uh, I would love to understand, and maybe this has changed a lot since you've moved to Game Grumps, but like, uh, my day is sitting in front of a computer all day, unless I'm going to game festivals, which is a, is an exception to the rule. What's your day like? Because I have an impression sometimes of people who do a lot of streaming that like the job is a lot of like talking to people and being very social and like, uh, isn't that nice to always be connecting to other humans and you don't have to spend any time <laughs> at your computer sad and alone, but, um, Oh, I, I, I do that. I promise. <laughs> I promise. That so what's like, what's I, your day? Do you have um, a routine? Yeah, it's, it's, it's still sort of figuring it itself, itself out right now. Like up until I started working at Game Grumps, I spent the last three and a half years at a place called Maker Studios as a doing, uh, as a creative executive. Mm-hmm. So I would, I'd be creating show ideas and I would like all this crap I'm talking to you about was like the things I was super focused on at Maker Studios of like, well, how do you create the shareable content? Like how do you create an idea that's shareable? And um, they, well, yeah, they actually made it really, really hard to quit near the end of it without necessarily knowing they mm-hmm. like they flew me to london to make sure that my creative vision was realized on a show what? i had created <laughs> i got to give a talk to the london team about like creativity and building a brand for the internet wow and all that crap and it was like so cool um but that whole that 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 was the uh you know like 40 hour a week salaried position work at like work nine to six like mm-hmm. do your thing and show up take the meetings like go on go on drinks networking meetings and mm. like like all this stuff, um, Game Grumps is a little. Uh, uh, no, I wouldn't even say little. It's 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 a lot more freeform than that. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's very like. As long as you get the work done. Sure. It's uh, more flexible schedule. It's, it's, cool. it's more indie or whatever. And, you want and yeah, I'm, I'm super appreciative of that. Um, but I, I already know like you can't like everything that's been beaten into me in terms of like the corporate world of like showing up. Uh, bef- like even before on time like mm-hmm. being early to things and like being super punctual and like you know like showing up at one time and leaving at the same time like being this creature of of schedule and habit and putting things in your calendar i don't think that's gonna go away i think that's good um yeah yeah <laughs> i was telling you this earlier but like today was it's a sunday and today is the first day that i woke up uh and didn't use my snooze button yeah. in as long as I can remember. And I'm so proud of myself <laughs> right now. Um, it's time to make the coffee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about like, at the very least, imposing a schedule upon myself that makes me a productive member of society. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a fear that like you see a lot of YouTubers, um, having crazy hours and like crazy to the point of like staying up really late and sleeping in really late. And, yeah. um, that's just not, um, not necessarily what I want to do with my schedule. Um, so I want to be like, I want to, I don't know, man, it's like, it's, it's going off and doing things on your own and, and realizing that you need to have that you lack self-discipline and that 
I'm very much in a portion of my life right now where I'm trying to self-discipline myself and yeah. try to, you know, like I, I'm, I'm given the luxury of being able to show up whenever I want or whenever I need to, but I want to make sure that I am, you know, like treating, treating, you know, joining something as cool and big and prestigious as a game grumps as like, like I'm here to do work. Like I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. you know, okay. Like when, uh, I had my college tuition paid for because my dad spent 20 years in the Navy and was, be, was disabled because of it. Mm. Um, so that was like, that was something that was always in the back of my head. Like I'm, I'm at this college specifically because my dad sacrificed so much. So I'm not going to mm. slouch around at college. And it was really important to me to graduate from college early and get a job as quickly as possible because I didn't want to feel like I was, you know, like wasting such a privileged existence. Yeah, no, it's it's like, that's really admirable. Thank you. Thank you. Three, three, three years, three years and a quarter. Yeah. Really proud of myself. Um, um, so, um, and I hope that stuck with me to the point where like, you know, I'm, I'm at a place like Game Grumps, which is really fucking amazing. And it's, it's, it's such a, you know, like when, when you think about how big they are, it's like such a rare experience to like have such successful people think I'm cool enough to hang out with them. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to see that as me like throwing up my hands and saying, Hey, I made it. I want right. to see that as, as like, well, this is the next step. Like, what can I do with all of these luxuries that I've been afforded yeah. by having worked this hard up until this point? Yeah. I, th- I think like, cause I, I've benefited from, from the support of others and like, mm-hmm. um, whether that be, uh, some like my parents or just like people who've helped me along the way or mentored me or whatever. And like, I like to view it as, I mean, I'm, I'm bad about this sometimes, but it's like the difference between standing on the shoulders of, of giants or of other mm-hmm. people and like sitting on the shoulders of <laughs> people, you know, <laughs> that's a really good way to put it. Uh, which is like, yeah, like you, you keep going up even if you're standing on like your own shoulders like vernon from a few years ago it's like he got me here yeah i'm not gonna waste that or like slow it down um man that's super cool yeah so okay um one more thing i'll ask you is is like and i think nobody has an answer for this which is why why i'm (laughs) going to ask you uh and especially because you've recently done a transition it's like is there in your mind a trajectory for what you're doing like you work on the internet which is as weird and Mm ever-changing as video games if not way more so like do you have anything in your head for like more than next week in terms of like what you're going for or what you aspire to do kind of i mean you i I think everyone's sort of obsessed with like who they're going to be 10 years from now Mm -hmm. and like you know like the the big overarching thing is like well am i going to be happy and then, like, you break that out and it's like, well, what would make me happy? And, you know, like, for the first time in a long time, like, I'm, I'm excited about working and I'm, I'm, like, excited to make things with people. And, um, you know, this, this move to the Game Grumps has been probably the, one, I suppose, one of the healthiest career decisions I've made because mm-hmm. I'm making stuff that I'm actually truly, po- like, passionate about. And I, I hope they see, I, I mean, they told me, but I hope they see that <laughs> in me that, like, I'm so excited to be working on stuff that I, I, I care so much about. And, um, you know, I just, so, you know, like you're, you're taking off stuff. Like, you know, I, I, I have an apartment, I got a cat where me and me and my cat are super cool. Um, yeah, I have a job chance. that I like and like, we're, we're, I'm, I'm constantly 
ticking off the like, all right, so this is what I need to be a happy, fulfilled human being. Um, am I going to die alone is still there. Yeah. Still, still, still there. <laughs> keeps you hungry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like trajectory wise, it's like, I, 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 I definitely said this earlier, but like if I, if I get to keep making dumb stuff for the rest of my life, I'm going to be happy. Hmm. Um, but more like further into that, it's like, you know, I, I, I want to make dumb stuff that builds on top of itself. You know, like when you start off on the internet at zero hmm. and you have to create something that's shareable or else you won't get seen that starts building into to something, right? People become fans of the creator. Like, like, so you're no longer at zero and the more you create, the stronger this like core fan base is. Yeah. And then you can take that core fan base and like, Hey, I know you like my creativity and the stuff that I do and the stuff that I make. Um, here's the next thing I've made. And then they, then you're not starting off at zero anymore. You're you're starting off with like the springboard of people who like the stuff that you make and want to see more like that. So you you show them the next thing, and they're like, "Hey, that's cool." They share that out. Maybe that gets bigger. And like the things you keep making, kind of build into this like this sort of ecosystem of like, "Hey, they're all feeding into this like core fan base of like people who think what I make is cool." And if I can keep making cool things for them then I'm then I get the luxury of keep like continuing to be able to make cool things for them. Yeah, like they're raising you up and they're raising you up because you know that they care and it makes you feel less like an imposter and it makes you feel like you're going back to what you want, which is like making things that make people happy. Fucking maybe. <laughs> I yeah, hope. Maybe, I <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that's like that's what every conversation of ours ends at. Yeah. Like maybe. Um well cool man, thanks for doing it. You brought a copy of Dream Phone, so I feel like we should uh, yeah, reward ourselves by playing yeah. this. Um so this was uh I did um uh this is a day after the Game Grumps live stream uh for uh Crisis Text Line, which is uh, a US based not for profit organization which um gives people counseling over text messages. So oh, if you're not wow. if you're not able to call in or in your situation where you can't call in, or yeah. if you are more comfortable talking over text with someone it provides that service for people to be able to get them from like a hot moment uh, yeah. where something bad might happen to like a cool calm where they can deal with things a little better. That's so, incredible. I'm very proud to say that like that, that was the first thing I worked on with the game grumps and we were able to raise, um, and this is the unofficial number, but we were able to raise a little over $150,000 for yeah. that charity. Congratulations. Thank you very much. But um, a portion of that stream was us playing uh, the 1993 classic Dream Phone, which <sighs> was sent to me by a very lovely Game Grumps user who I was on their subreddit and I was like, look, man, if someone overnights me a copy of Dream Phone, I swear to God, we're going to play this. <laughs> and then they overnighted me a copy of Dream Phone. So, um, my eyes are watering. All right. No, <laughs> we're, we're just going to go. I don't, I can't be on the, I can't be on the, on the mic while I do this because I'm just going to be giggling the are whole time. Are you sure you don't want to call Jason and see what's up? <laughs> because, um, I think uh, I think Jason knows who has a crush on us. Hello? He'll eat almost anything. Oh yeah, but what's the secret? Except popcorn. Except popcorn. I don't know Whoa. if they heard that. Oh, it so whispers a secret off. to you? Yeah. Oh my god. That's how the game works. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> we'll do a whole separate thing that is just us playing Dream Phone. But, uh, dude, thanks so much for talking to me. This Thank you rad. so much for having me. That was great. God, I love that conversation. Man, every every time I talk to Vernon, it is this perfect combination of just having a lot of fun and some jokes. Uh, 
and talking about our lives and our pasts and our feelings, and it's just everything I am about, man. It is uh, everything from the craft of making things to a career to self-worth and you know your self-opinion to stupid memes about the internet. Vernon is awesome. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Um, it's Friday morning. I'm about to run off back to the team. Today is our first team day back together because yesterday we all worked from home. So we're back at the studio together. We're going to fix a few bugs, and then I think we're going to stream the game. We're just going to play, and I think we're going to relax a little bit. Uh, um, I hope that this has been enjoyable to you. I hope that if you are playing Hyperlight Drifter, uh, you're certainly not obligated to. You can like this podcast and not like my work. Um, but if you're playing it, I hope you're getting something out of it. Uh, if you have any feedback on the podcast or the game, you can hit me up on Twitter at Teddy Deef, T-E-D-D-Y-D-I-E-F, or email at playscape at idlethumbs.net. Uh, you can also yell at Vernon Shaw, at Vernon Shaw, S-H-A-W on Twitter. That'll about do it. I'm going to let Omniboy take us out. Oh, God, yeah. I'll talk to you in a few days. Woo-hoo!